0: Fulhamish is back for the season by Lab Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. <laughs> It's the Fulhamish podcast, your audio slice of Fulham FC filling. My name is Sammy James, and on a weekend where a flying pie took centre stage at the Amex, um, see our Twitter if you're a little bit confused by this, uh, we'll be reflecting on Fulham's entertaining 2 2 draw at Brighton as our 2 0 lead crumbled away late on. Here to dish up their thoughts on the game, a man who has a pie for tactics, Ben Jarman. Pie there, Sammy. <laughs> A man whose favorite pie is probably something to do with the radius of a circle, Farrell monk. Hello. And we welcome back a man who's been earning his crust up north, but is now fully back in the Fulhamish mix. Guy Barlow, how you doing?
1: Very
2: well, how are you Sammy? Yeah,
0: very good, thank
2: you. I was going to try and sneak in a crust pun there, maybe on a Fulham supporters crust kind of but you've oh, kind of taking very nice.
0: Out. Have we seen this pie thing?
3: It's unbelievable. Literally. It's probably
0: one of my favourite things to happen to Fulham, a uh, kind of culture in, in years. Um, if you don't know, someone got hit by a pie during the celebration on Saturday's uh, game and complained about it very vociferously on the Fulham Facebook group. And, well, to say it's gone round the internet is, is an understatement. Even Accidental Partridge, one of my favourite Twitter accounts. Did it go pyral? Oh, my... <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very, very good. Um, so, we've got loads to discuss. Obviously, Brighton. We're also going to look a little bit back at Clint Dempsey as well. Big news about his retirement. Uh, and we've got a stack full of your questions, but mostly going to be focusing on Brighton. It was an entertaining 2-2 draw on Saturday. Uh, let's do some three-word reviews. Ben, what have you gone for? Um, we've got loads of
3: them this week, actually. And um, Which platform have you gone for? Uh, we've gone for uh, our... You know, usual Twitter. Yeah, I'd say uh, it's our bread and butter, really. Yeah. Um, in the absence of Jack Collins, who's gone to make uh, partisan ish we've got a few Python good ones. Partisan Belgrade. Partisan <laughs> Belgrade. Yeah, we've got um, stuttering. Sw- serves seagulls from Lawrence Craven. Yep. Uh, throw it away by Christian Liédberg. Oh no, Metro from Zach Dot. Uh, defenses. Defensive lapses continue from John Reynolds, and unbeaten run underway from Nick Pierce. Oh
0: yeah. I like that optimism at the end from, yeah. from Nick.
3: <laughs> Always on a high.
0: Yeah. So uh, this season, Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So Guy, as you're back, back on the pod, uh, I'll start with you. Uh, Brighton, uh, I'm beaten at home since January. Fulham gave them a big old scare. Ultimately, it was just one point, and that is disappointing considering where we were. But looking back at the 90, I think there's lots of cause for optimism.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, Leicester were the only team outside the top six to go and win their last season. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're they a Houston team very much so and they're quite reliant on Glenn Murray, unfortunately for us, and he made his pay, you know. Like, he was causing us a lot of trouble even before he scored and he just seemed in the mood. He wanted the penalty, which Bet saved, he didn't get. And, you know, if it wasn't for Glenn Murray we probably have three points and Brighton would be a lot worse off in general, I think.
0: Two changes, foul for Fulham. Uh, Alfie Mawson making his Premier League debut and Nkisa uh, coming in. Uh, one of those enforced, of course, Tom Kearney uh, out injured for a few weeks, even put out the Scotland squad as well. Seems to be that every time an international comes around that Tom Kearney seems to pick up an injury. I don't know if there's any um, intention there. I assume not. Uh, and Joe Bryan uh, dropped to the bench. Maxim Lamar went to left back. Good to see Mawson making his debut.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's got proven quality. He has been called up to the England squad already, even before before joining Fulham. Um, so, you know, he's got pedigree there that the, the international stage is recognised already. Uh, I was surprised the the fact that um, Lamarchand was moved to left back, um, and Adoy kept his place um, ahead of Brian, if you could say that, um, because Brian I thought has been playing quite well, um, but obviously so has Lamarchand. So it's obviously a difficult call for for uh, Slavisa, and they probably have worked on their training all week leading up to the game. But I've got to say it wasn't a particularly assured performance from our um, Maxime at left back uh to be honest it, it, he defensively okay but it's when you move like a left back out there in this system you want our both our our uh, full backs playing almost as kind of like wing backs stroke wingers and le Marchand wasn't really contributing anything attacking wise and he gave the ball away two or three occasions when the passes were just telegraphed if anything and they were quite easy for the Brighton uh, attacking players to pick up on those well obviously those one, of them, yeah, one of them one of them led, them led to a goal yeah which, which had, let
0: Brighton back into the game
2: and it had happened a couple of other times in, on on those occasions but apart from that I thought defensively we were okay and and if anything the Brighton chances came from their just really just quite good pressing and all rounds kind of they they kind of defend as a team and attack as a team
0: Ben first real moment of incident in the game was the penalty given away by Vieto um Glenn Murray with the turning (coughs) circle of a barge seemed to have a bit too much (laughs) for Vieto on this occasion all kind of came though from Fulham napping I think because they we thought that Brighton were offside and that's where the problems came about in the first place and ultimately brilliant save by Marcus Bestinelli
3: well, yeah, I tweeted um, from the Fulhamish account on the weekend that it was in slightly controversial circumstances. When Knockhart plays the ball through, Murray's clearly offside and continues to play the ball, but never actually touches it, so therefore never becomes properly active, which is probably the right decision from the linesman, or as much as we'd all hate to admit it. But the save from Betts is absolutely wonderful. He gets down really, really well and he outweights uh, Christian Gross. To, to sort of get into his head and Gross is one of them players that likes to make the goalkeeper move before striking the ball mm. and Betts just stayed in his line he stayed big he stayed
0: concentrated and, and pulled off a great save it's not a brilliant penalty from from Pascal Gross but it's also not no. a terrible penalty at the same time
3: no, no you're quite right and obviously as, a, as I mentioned like he's a kind of guy that wants to keeper to move before putting the ball away and he just couldn't get Betts to move so it's a testament to how good uh, Marcus was sort of like mentally there in that situation to outthink and they talked about England having this in the World Cup is just like to do everything at your own pace and he took the, the emphasis away from Gross and put it in himself I was really disappointed with how naive yeto was in the build up to that penalty you could see it coming a mile off as he just steams into the back of Glen Murray just don't do it just don't contact him whatsoever just turn him away from goal like, he's it, so
0: experienced he knows exactly what he's looking exactly, for
3: exactly it's it's very naive defending and Fulham really should have been playing to the whistle even before that
2: well a bit of a strange one on that offside because you know 99% of the time the, uh, the linesman would have flagged before that because he was seemed to be the only one moving for the ball it's just not out is about 10 times quicker than Mm. Glenn Murray. Anyway, but the one thing that hasn't been picked up from the stuff I've seen so far was the fact that there was a slight shove on Mawson that unsettles him before Glenn Murray, when the ball was played through for for Glenn Murray. And you would say that that is interfering with play because he's in an offside position. He's pushed Mawson a little bit. Whether you can say that's strength or a push, that's still interfering with play from an offside position. But, I mean, a lot happens in between that and the goal. Yeah. Anyway, so it's just small small things. Glimmer is definitely one of those players as well who
1: just makes it as, as physical as he can and that kind of push is what he like that's his bread and butter, you know. Mm-hmm. And we saw it in build ups every set piece, he would give a little nudge in the back. He's proper experience, as you said, something old fashioned centre forward. He knew exactly what he was doing.
0: I mean, I'm a little bit worried if Glenn Murray's giving us such a horrid time, what Sergio Aguero and Jesus might do for us uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Um, let's move on to more positive things. Uh, Scherler's opening goal for Fulham. I mean, everything that we can say about this goal is John mchale What an assist. Lovely little layoff by Bianca by to, to find Seri the space. And if you give Seri some space in that kind of area around the box... That's what he could do. It was just sublime.
3: Oh, it was sensational. Like just for him to see Scherler coming in at the back post and that peripheral vision where he has that a small pocket of space and to pick him out with a ball that you know is is scooped almost and for it to be, to land perfectly it's, it's an unreal piece of play and it's just at that point where Fulham were really starting to excel. For the first like twenty five thirty minutes, we really struggled to get into the game. We couldn't really get into the final third and make those passes where you know it's like the rule passes ten or fifteen yards where we get in behind. And that was the first real time we'd done it, and we we managed to score
0: from it. It's really really good from us. I wish that the BBC also did assist of the month because I reckon <laughs> that John McCalseri could have gone for the one two. He's got goal of the month. He got that confirmed yesterday, and I reckon it's right up there with assist of the month. Um, do you agree with my? Uh, thinking there, Guy?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a lovely little chip through. It reminds me of um, Brian Ruiz. You know, he used to love that little scoop under the ball, yes. didn't he? Yes. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a good little prodded finish from Sherler as well.
0: Yes, of course. Uh, and Sherler, I saw a tweet um, about him this weekend just saying he's definitely going to be a fan's favourite within a year or two. He just seems to have such passion for the club and even just some of the posts on social media just... Reflect a guy who is so happy where he is and happy to be playing football at a club that appreciates him
2: yeah, and that 's reflective in in his performances, and not even just that scooped pass that was through the eye of a needle that for for Scherle's goal. It was the movement in around that him and Anguissa were linked up so well in there, and you can see that link up play even before Anguisa looks up to see serri he 's already moving into that space, and he already kind of knows what. You know, he gets that ball fizzed into him and already gets it out of his feet, ready to play a pass through. It kind of reminds me of the assist that uh, Dembele did against QPR for for, uh, Pogrebniak's goal all those years ago. And just that, you know, it's that kind of play that reminds me of a player like Moussa Dembele, who, as we know, is an exceptional, exceptional, exceptional player. Um, and I hope that Seri is going to be the same. But as it took
0: well. Musa a couple of years to get to that level, whereas with Seri, we've signed someone who is at that quality now. Yeah. Straight in, off the bat. I mean, he's won a goal of the month in his first month in, <laughs> yeah. in, in English football. He his must first just, shot. <laughs> he must just be thinking this is all quite easy. I mean, Mawson's came out in
3: an interview with the Evening Standard just this afternoon, saying that he thinks that Surrey is on another level to everyone he's ever played with, and his his, tech, his ability is frightening. Well, I think that's that's something that well, it sums it up quite nicely. And again, on the Twitter this on this weekend, like I tweeted, I don't even know how the hell we've managed to get hold of him. Who's so
0: good? Did you see his interview with the Times? Yeah, um, It was a lovely article that he did with the Times and saying how he learnt his touch kind of playing bare feet and Mm -hmm. you know suddenly when he got a pair of boots he thought this is brilliant i can have an even better touch now (laughs) i think that's obviously contributed to some of the problem that he has with his toenails and everyone said he can't play in cold weather which i don't reckon uh, is a hundred percent the truth but yeah wonderful wonderful player Uh, moving into the second half farrell uh, mitrovic's goal initially i thought he'd fouled dunk and I, if it was the other way round, I would be a little bit upset. I, I mean, there's there's a difference between a shove and a push, and I think it borders on push. But hey, ends up in the back of the net, so I didn't care really. But I just was wanted to get your thoughts, referee Farrell's
2: thoughts. Um, at the time, I said I had that kind of thought because usually a defender in that position facing away from goal, any sort of touch, defenders go over and then there's a foul given. But I think that perhaps. Dunk was thinking yeah I'm going to try and do that but Mitro pretty much hardly touches him really in the end and I think it was he was I think what he was trying to do was play the ball back to to the goalkeeper and um, he just kind of fell over and just lost his balance a little bit and Mitrovic was just alive to it he was he knew he can kind of sense that Dunk was going to play that ball back and and just trying to grab an opportunity where the ball kind of gets away from him. and Yeah, it's
3: almost as if Dunk has taken way too long to make up his mind. You could see, when the ball comes over the top of him, he doesn't want to be turned. But obviously, because we've turned him, two very slow centre-backs in Duffy and Dunk, he doesn't want anyone in behind him. He's just sort of like, what, what do I do? And that moment of indecision has allowed Mitrovic to get in there ahead of him. I don't think he touched him that much either.
0: I kind of afterwards, I kind of realised, okay, I can maybe see that why that wasn't a foul. It was just my initial, I, thought, I remember thinking... Oh, we've got away with one here. But actually, looking back, I think it was actually a good decision from the ref.
1: It's exactly the kind of foul Mitro would give away as well. You know, like a stupid mm. bumbling into the defender when he's going absolutely nowhere. But we, I mentioned Glenn Murray's physicality. I mean, Duncan Duffy are no, you know, they're big, big guys. And Mitro had them in his pocket, really. He held, mm. held the ball up so well. I mean, everything apart from the penalty, which I'm sure we'll talk about, was perfect for him that game, I thought. I thought he had a really good game.
0: Well, 2018-19 top scorers in Europe's top five leagues, all on four goals. Neymar, Mbappe, Benzema, Messi, Mane and Mitrovic. It is nice reading, isn't it? Very nice reading. Yeah, <laughs> All the big names. So <laughs> All of those
2: Barcelona fans are going onto Google going, who is Fulham?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, they're the team that snapped Seri off you. Yeah. <laughs> they know about us now. Um, so let's move on to the crumble. It's a disappointing time for Fulham to concede that first because we just got ourselves 2-0 into the lead. There's about half an hour of the game left. And I think if you just see out 15, 20 minutes, then I think we, we kill that game off. And, and ultimately, that first goal that Glenn Murray scored has come from an unforced error. In tennis, that would be exactly how it would be put into the statistics and the March on now two games in a row has made that almost exact same error that has left to Fulham being outnumbered at the back and you know when you face Premier League teams even against the likes of Brighton and Burnley if you're outnumbered in defence like that it's, it's nearly always going to result in a goal.
3: Absolutely it's, it's slim margins we've said this a number of times on the pod but these sort of rash decisions are the ones that that leave you exposed and ultimately the ones that leave you a goal down and it is a real shame that it's on because in the first two games he had two really positive contributions to, to fulham um but it's just in the last couple that his his decision making has gone completely wayward and, and he's passing even more so the number of times he lost the ball in that match in in key areas you can probably count well it probably gets up to at least double figures and you can't really be having that from from a player that's in a, as an important position as a left back or or a full back in this system because it just leaves us hideously exposed
0: I just don't see what Joe Bryan did to get dropped. And we knew that Le Martian, when he came, played left back a bit at Nice last season, Guy. But he was supposed to be, he was filling in for Nice at left back. He's not a natural left back. And I just don't really see why Slav has dropped a, uh, a fit, fully fit left back option or even gone for Sess. Who's who's on the bench, and I, it's clearly not Le Marchand's preferred position, and he got caught out on Saturday. It just seems another little bit of Slav madness.
1: Yeah, I mean Slav has tinkered with this left back position ever since he's been manager. I feel you know. Mm. I mean, I feel like Ream might have even started there way back in when he was first appointed, and quite often for away games, especially um, Newcastle, springs to mind where it was Malone and then Sess. Um, we have gone more defensive, and for a more, you know, a slower left back, one he's going to tuck in a bit more and be a bit more defensive. But when you do that, you need Le Marchand to be a bit better on the ball than he is um, at the moment. And I think that he did let us down, and it was very harsh on Joe Bryan, as you said, because I thought he was improving. I mean, in the first game, he obviously came off injured against Palace, but then got a great assist against Spurs, and then was great again against Burnley. So it was
2: very harsh on Joe Bryan, I thought. You're quite right in saying that. Um... Slavisa has that history of doing it, and in the in his two first full seasons, he chopped and changed quite a lot when we kind of all discussed about well, it's quite obvious to us what we think the best eleven is, but maybe Slav is tinkering a little bit so that he then eventually knows what his best eleven is I mean it might happen once or twice again in the next few games that Lamar might fill in at left back, but you know it's gonna. He's just probably twinking with the system, you know. He's probably wants to see, okay, what's a Doy and Ma- Mawson like to start off with, and we got that defensive assurance with Le on at left back,
1: perhaps. And we haven't had the same back five for any of the four games so far. Lamarche has been the only constant out of that, even the goalkeeper, which obviously we know, we all know about that situation. But the fact that Lamarche has played all four games in two different positions, and you know, Mawson's played once, shows that we really don't have a defensive. Um, Identity, I guess.
0: I guess hopefully that's something that we can use this international break to maybe get a little bit more settled because we can't be going into every game not knowing at least your back five. I always think, you know, change your wingers, change your attackers, it maybe gives the element of surprise to another team. But I think there's no coincidence that the three teams who are unbeaten, sorry, have got 100% records this season Watford, Liverpool, and Chelsea all have some of the fewest amounts of players used and the only other team that actually has used fewer players is wolves who have also had a brilliant
2: start i think one thing that does work to our advantage and i think it's only fosu mensa in our sort of the back five that started uh, just recently um that none of them are going to international duty as far as as far as i'm aware so and that i think the players are going on a like a kind of a pre-season style tour to, to Murthia I think it is, um, and I think they're going to be playing a game out there, so it might be a chance to actually look at a different system or even play the same, at least the same four out of five again, and see see what that looks like.
0: Ben, would you? How would you rate Farrell's pronunciation of Murthia? <laughs> Uh
3: He sounded like he was saying Murphy, so it must be an <laughs> yes. island somewhere on Spain. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just want to put a Fulham twang on it or something.
0: <laughs> uh, then the second, I, I just every time I look at it. I can't quite fathom what Mitrovic is trying to do there. He obviously just has a moment of utter madness. Tries to capture it on his shoulder, or like kind of top of his chest and just slightly misjudges it. It hits his arm. One part of me is thinking, well, no one was going to get to that ball anyway. He's not denied a player an opportunity to get a touch on it or do anything with it. It's a literal simple mistake but you know if it's the other way round, we'd all be it's the absolutely way, livid
3: uh, it's the way he maneuvers his body like he when when he understands that he's got too far underneath the ball he like raises his arm up towards it almost like you say to try and catch it on his chest but it's a deliberate movement towards the ball and I think that's why it's given regardless if he's under pressure or not but the thing that really annoyed me is that Mawson is standing next to him and he checks Mawson's there beforehand he knows it's not an opposition player and Mawson must have shouted to him time or something like that and he's just completely ignored it
1: I actually love the reaction of Mawson as well because he knows it's a penalty <laughs> yeah. and you can like see like his body language shift like yeah. that. He knows, he's just waiting for the whistle and then
2: it comes and he's like oh but yeah, no, really, send- it's, it's actually really funny to watch more. Remember stuff. that Senderos gif from that penalty given a few years ago where he sort of like looks at the referee and then puts that really sad face on. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> I've also never seen a linesman more excited to give a penalty <laughs> yeah. in my life.
3: That's a very feverant flag yes! waving, not it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got to make a decision. Must
3: must be from the Sussex FA. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Um, so overall defensively still looked a little bit suspect we had a tweet from Dominic Dice who wrote what do clean sheets look like I've forgotten Um, we've now conceded over two per game which is a little bit of a a worrying stat you know that's nine goals conceded for the season quick maths (laughs) I'm a little bit worried about City in a couple of weeks' time, Farrell. And I may be overreacting a bit, but if we're conceding two to Brighton and Burnley, who are hardly prolific teams, I just think it could get a little bit messy.
2: Well, Man City have got to get get the ball off us first before uh, they can score. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Fighting Um, talk already. (laughs) uh, I don't know. it's, It's such a hard one to call. You know, let's... Go back to our championship days, maybe, and and you know this is clutching at straws here, but um, the fact that our record against the top six teams is far better than our record against the bottom six teams, uh, so maybe we can maybe we can look at that instead. Uh, it's a little bit worrying, but then again, you know, it's a, it's two weeks away. There's a lot to work on. It's still a as we've talked about already. It's still a whole new back line. We'll see how it goes. Like I've got every confidence that Fulham can go up there and get a result, but obviously it's going to be very difficult. Slav
1: has never been able to sort out a defence. I, I, I really don't think we have had a, like, a solid defence. There was that run of clean sheets at home last season.
0: I'd kind of disagree. I think towards the end of last season, we looked not... defensively so assured. Is
3: it not the uh, the influence of Stuart
0: Gray on that? And well, he's now gone? It's hard to know with a coach. And I, I see some people... Saying, oh, it's because this coach is gone, but how do we know exactly what kind of influence a coach is having? Well,
3: one thing you you need to point out is that when we had Stuart Gray in there, you had the whole back four and a goalkeeper basically practising of how to bring the line up and how to clear the ball appropriately. The person who took that exercise this weekend was Ryan Sessignon. Like, I think that says it all, really. What, as in he coached before them. the he game? Coached the se- yeah, he took the session.
0: What? Yeah. That's madness. Yeah, well...
3: Well, it's not madness it happened
0: yeah <laughs> no I'm not I'm not am not not I'm not questioning your eyes but I mean maybe and, and a lot and the goals this weekend have come from unforced errors shall we call them yeah um one goal against Burnley did as well I I, I don't know if I've just maybe been a bit paranoid well maybe but... I think
3: half of it half of it's to do with the way that we play football regardless I mean we're a team that likes to take a lot of risks especially at the back and when you pass it out there's always going to be an error where you give away a high value chance and when we come to do this uh, and we come to talk about this on the stat show next week, what we'll talk about is how Fulham give away like a, a number of chances that have a high propensity to score from. And we see it this weekend with obviously two penalties conceded, one defensive lapse and a number of are- a number of passes lost in key areas. So I think half of it comes with the style, but we've just got to be much more um, rigorous with who we pass to. We have to be much more intelligent with who we pass to. And I think Mawson offers that like, I don't think I saw him properly lose the ball um, this weekend. I thought he was very, very good, very assured. And if anything, the one that let us down was, unfortunately, the left-back.
0: What did we think of Dennis Adoy? It's kind of two starts and two for him. He seems to still be solid, unremarkable, but does a job there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually, um, speaking to Don Betts about this, and I called it a few weeks ago that I reckon he was going to come back in. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Adoy and Mawson start the next game as well because clearly Slav likes do he likes having a, a, that bit of pace mm. and doy is very good at bringing it out from the back as well in terms of actually carrying the ball he's a much better ball carrier than our other centre-back options but yeah I mean I'll be interested to see um, what happens in our defence I mean we talk about our style of play Ben there that Slav has often said if we make a mistake like that it is his fault yeah. it's not the defenders but it seems to me his that philosophy is just we've got the ball therefore we can't concede you know and and it really comes down to that
3: yeah I mean it's a a similar mentality that's shared by a number of managers out there like Pep for example Pep always talks about having short passes that are less than 15 metres to get out because it means that your team are under less pressure but I think we haven't executed that properly yet so uh, we haven't really played out from the back and there are times when we give possession away sloppily in the wrong areas but I'm sure he can work on that
0: Well, are not the only team at the moment if you watched Arsenal against Cardiff yesterday and how hell, yeah. terrible they were I was having kittens
3: uh, and I've got no vested interest in Yeah, that. I know, it was just quite <laughs>
0: horrible to watch I was just watching Match of the Day I was like I can see what's coming here I, you don't make that pass oh no don't make that oh god I mean if they were struggling against Cardiff uh, with their pressing then uh, I think yeah. you know you're in all sorts even of even Allison's all. at it so there we go yeah, yeah exactly um, overall four points from the opening for Farrell and I would definitely have taken that going going into the season I know it's maybe not what we all dreamt of and we all thought we'd have this flying flying start uh, I think the Palace game tempered expectations a bit but Point a game sees us safe in this league,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've got to agree because we, we, when we did this preview show, we were looking at some of these fixtures, and I think the one thing we kind of came f- got from that was the fact that we didn't want to end up on like one or even zero points at the end of these games. Um, four points is definitely reasonable and. Obviously, could have done better, but we could have been. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. I think that, as we have spoken about before, that in the past two seasons, which were a spectacular seasons, that it, even though they were brilliant at the end of it, at the start it was incredibly slow because Slavis was you know, in, um, integrating new players and ideas to, to new players, and, and it took a while for those performances to to grow. Whereas this season, to be honest, the past these four games, I think Fulham have played pretty well. To be honest, like I wouldn't necessarily, apart from the Spurs game aside, we were the better team, to be honest. I think Brighton were good on Saturday and a draw probably was a fair result. But, you know, we did create three or four very, very good chances against, well, a team that has only lost once uh, from a yet. team outside. Well, yeah, from a team outside.
3: Could could well have been even more points had it not been for the slim margins in every single one of those mm. games. You know, if that trippy or free kick doesn't go in, then you, you back ourselves to go on and get a one point, if not three. You know, if if that Mitrović had cleared the ball out of the box properly, that would have been three points. We could well have been on sitting on six. Like, it's very slim margins. And I I like the fact that, as Farrell said, we haven't started as slow as we have in other years. We look really settled. We look really assured. And I think it's because we seem a little more settled off the pitch, in terms of having you know a, a good um, chairman then that's given us a platform to to go on and do something in this league. And we've got. Um, you know a settled recruitment policy we've got players who actually want to play for their club we've got players of incredible quality and they're like Serian just calling Andre Scheller a World Cup winner this is someone who won the World Cup four years ago playing for Fulham it's unreal I think we'll go on and we'll do some serious
2: damage this year to some teams and we have the most coveted player in the world play on our bench coming on <laughs> as yeah. well and also we're not West Ham <laughs> <laughs> praise the Lord
0: always looking for the positives <laughs> here joke at Fulhamish there was this table that got shared with us earlier today, Ben, and yep. ne- leading on nicely to the fact that the stats show is rolling around next mm. week, which is this new format that we're trying out with um, George Singer and Nick McNee, and We're going to be kind of delving far more into the statistical side of Fulham than, than ever before. And when you look at the expected points this season, and apparently in stat circles, four games is a point where you can maybe start using the data to any kind of purpose it has fulham in the bottom three yes
3: yeah, because our expected goals against tally is absolutely gigantic which isn't helped by the fact that we've obviously conceded two penalties and we've had a number of high profile defensive errors obviously that stat there comes from obviously the other team's propensity to be able to score a goal um, and when you give away like penalties or free kicks in dangerous positions it means your expected goals against only bumps up yeah um what is really good to know is that our expected goals for is around about 3.8 which means that we obviously create a number of opportunities and i think we can all see this we we scored four against burnley we scored two against brighton and we and we scored one against spurs it's it's all exciting to come together but we really need to you know cut out those defensive errors and i think Georgia and Nick are Looking at that table and looking at a number of other factors coming up for next week to give you all what our play on the pitch looks like in statistics and and where we think we'll be come Christmas and then come the end of the year.
0: I mean, that table also has Bournemouth to finish in the top three uh, (laughs) and qualify for the Champions League. So (laughs) maybe maybe we could temper our... uh... It's
3: still very early. Yeah, exactly. Very, very early.
0: Right, uh, up next, uh, we've got a stack full of your questions and plus a little tribute to... That boy, Clint Dempsey.
1: Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I am listening to the Fulhamish podcast.
0: Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name's Sammy James, here with Farrell Monk. Salut, Guy Barlow. Hello there, Ben Jarman. Hi, Steak and Ale, Sammy. Hey, I was going to say, have we thought of any more pie pie puns in the uh, in the past half hour?
1: No, metro. No. Apart from that
0: metro <laughs> <laughs> m-e-a-t yeah very very nice um so i can give a shout out to kelvin hazenberg why am i shouting out kelvin hazenberg
2: why are you shouting out kelvin hazenberg because
0: he's top of the fulhamish fantasy football league i'm hot Boom on your heels yourself.
2: though hot on your heels
0: yeah where are you you're you you uh, can not be oh god you're in sixth bloody hell, how are you that good
1: i captained Mitro this week i fancied him
2: well I like captain Harry scores, that but... one, well. so that went well. Did you get mi- do you get minus points for giving away a penalty?
1: No, but he got booked actually, I think, for the yeah, penalty. He did. So um ah. yeah, you got a minus point for that,
2: sadly.
0: Kelvin Hazenberg is team name is Dutch FFC and he's got three hundred and fourteen points.
2: He's got the whole of Netherlands behind him, no wonder <laughs> he's tough. <laughs>
0: um and he's one point ahead of Edward Roby, who won our manager of the month last month for August, who still hasn't got in contact to claim his prize. So if you know what Edward Roby, he's won a poster, free poster. Oh, well, yeah, I we'll love it. On that. Yeah, Edward Roby, get in contact.
2: It's signed by Benjamin.
0: <laughs> well, if that's what it's going to take for Edward Roby to get in, in contact, blood. I will get it signed by ben Jarman himself. Um, Farrell, you are how far am I behind? Twelve points behind Calvin Hazenberg. You had a good week. Got sixty-one points. Impressive so yeah shout out to Kelvin Hazenberg if you haven't checked out uh, Jack Kelly's fan cams after the Brighton draw uh, make sure you do go to (coughs) Fulhamish on YouTube and uh, check out the video there get some interesting points of view following the game and also uh, has a nice extended chat with George um, Isaacs from Brighton Fan TV uh, afterwards and actually it was a really reasoned Brighton assessment on, on affairs as well so that's well worth checking out and tomorrow as in Tuesday, uh, David Preston's on the road uh, from the Amex bit of a match day experience will be dropping on the YouTube channel, we're over a thousand subscribers now so thank you for listening to my please and subscribing to the YouTube channel
3: can I just address something on the uh, Jack Kelly fan cam? Yeah. Um, just for all of you that are wondering how tall he is, he's five foot five. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I had him at over six foot. I'm sh- I'm, sh- I'm shocked.
3: He does tend to pick out the tallest people he can get his hands on for this fan cam.
0: Yeah, he needs to he, like,
3: tugs at the lower end of their shirt to get yeah, their
0: attention. Please, sir. <laughs> we need to get him a box to do the fan cams on. Then he can uh, be more at their level. I right.
2: can't really say that much. I'm only an inch taller than him, so yeah, every little helps. <laughs> um,
0: so last week uh, there was news about Clint Dempsey, uh, Fulham's top scorer in the Premier League, 232 appearances, 60 goals uh, for Fulham in all competitions. Announced his retirement. He's been playing in Seattle for the past few years, and and lots of people kind of reminiscing about good times under Clint. And I just thought we could have a little um, five minutes for the man. Um, for me personally. He's just one of those names that I really associate with a great era for Fulham, a great time when we had success under Roy. And even after Roy left, there were actually a couple of really good seasons under Yole, under Hughes, and, and Dempsey was such an integral part of that. And whilst lots of people hark back to his Juventus goal that he scored, and of course it was amazing and it was one of the best moments ever, I actually remember his final season for Fulham when he was actually phenomenal. Everything he touched... Turned to a goal. And he played away at Bolton, I seem to remember. A 3-0 win and Diarra played. And, and, and Dempsey was actually untouchable that day. Like, he was just insane. And I thought, just a little tribute to uh, one of my all-time Fulham players. Guy, any particularly fond Clint Dempsey moments?
1: Well, the, uh, the goal that kept us up against Liverpool. Yes. Back in 2007. That was under, under Laurie Sanchez, of course. Um, weirdly enough, that was one of the only games I've ever been to in my life with my mum. And that was like her (laughs) only lucky charm. She she came to the playoff final as well. Oh, wow. So she's a bit bit of a lucky charm.
0: 100% record.
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, no, I remember that game very fondly because of Clint Dempsey.
0: That's the one that uh, Neil Warnock still rages Mm -hmm. about to this day, isn't it?
3: Yeah. He can't let anything drop. (laughs) Mishra'll get.
0: Ben, your your thoughts on Clint? I did see a few tweets going round, kind of criticizing Clint actually I must must give the other side uh, of the argument I think a lot of it stems actually for that Chelsea penalty miss back in the day which actually was pretty criminal
3: yeah I think Clint went from someone who often ended up on the periphery of some of the games to being the guy that was actually all we needed for flair and creativity especially in those final two seasons at his time at the cottage for me obviously there's a Juventus chip but there are so many other things that Clint done that would just underline the quality of his play. Uh, there was a the hat trick against Newcastle, which was a, a very well taken hat trick. Um, I think it it basically demonstrates all the sides that had to Clint's game. The part where he'd get a little bit rough and a little bit dirty for the first goal, and then the 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 obscene quality of the, the love the other two. But I think one memory that always stand out for me was we were playing uh, Sunderland at home, and the. the ball was about 30 yards out on the right hand side it was, it was a free kick mm. and they'd set up probably a 5 or 6 man wall and they still had um, I think it was Mignolet in goal at the time covering it and Clint managed to bend it around the wall and into the top right hand corner We gave no keeper a chance, it was absolutely superb technique but the way, his stance and the way he hit the ball was something I've never seen before he'd, he'd like almost done a semi-circle run up and put so much whip and curl on the ball, that's one of the things that will always stand out in in my mind is how well he took that free kick and the celebration after it. He loved it.
1: Yeah. yeah it's interesting you mentioned at the top, Sammy, about him um being our all time top scorer, but would he make it in many all time Fulham teams? Probably not. Which which is kind of a weird paradox, isn't it?
0: I guess it always depends a bit about how far you go back with all time Fulham teams. Does he eclipse Johnny Haynes? Probably not. But, you know, would he get in a Premier League team? I would I mean, when, when we
3: do all this, and we've done it a couple of times um, in pre-season, I always forget him. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget him. I don't know why, because I, I really like him. But
0: It's quite interesting to think he didn't start the Europa League final. He yeah. came off the bench, but Roy never really loved him. It was actually after Roy he blossomed, I think.
2: Yeah, he did. And... It was. It's quite easy to forget. Also, they came in for an absolute steal of like five hundred grand, which is just ridiculously low in the mm. Premier League, even you know, ten year, ten or so years ago. Isn't it?
0: The MLS agreed his fee. I don't know if that's still the case now. Yeah, when you buy a yeah. player
2: from the MLS, all player contracts
3: are owned by the MLS, and every every fee you have to pay to MLS to get him. Mm. All but
0: point. yeah still your point remains
2: yeah and I think when I, I remember his first few games because he came in that like, January I think January um, yeah, yeah. at the time and uh, I remember thinking at the time that he was just a bit of a he obviously came from what with all due respect a lesser league and was thought he might be able just to boss it a little bit and he, I just remember he kept getting the ball out on the right and just trying to do lots of step overs and none of them really ever came off but one thing to his credit and Danny Murphy picked up on one of his one of the interviews when clint dempsey got a, a man of the match was like no one works on the training pitch as hard as this guy and um it shows the fact that he came in as a raw talent and he was just be able to work on it and work on it and adapt his play to then become fulham's all-time leading goal in the premier league is you know that's a massive credit because even under the the some of the most successful years he wasn't even he didn't even start every game there was there were times when we were going further and further in the Europa League and we were playing not second string team, maybe a 1.5 string team and Clint Dempsey was starting those games whereas yeah. in the Europa League when we were playing our full strength team he was more or less more or less coming off the bench and even after that and he'd been at the club for like three or four years by that point, he was then to work on his game even more and become, you know, he was starting, like, he was a first name of the team sheet kind of kind of person after that.
0: I found it quite remarkable how his career though did end almost quite abruptly he had one season at Spurs and and Spurs fans were not enamored by his signing at any point but I think he actually scored a dozen goals in
3: that season for them
2: uh, he scored a winner at Man United didn't he yeah
3: he did a Spurs fan spoke to me the other day they were like he's always that guy that never really done much but always come up with a crucial goal and I think that basically sums up his career, especially towards the end of it, he even for
0: the USA, that's particularly true as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly.
3: The goal against Ghana in the World Cup after what, mm. like eighteen seconds or something, like he always came up with the big goals. And he's a big game player, but oftentimes
0: you'd find him on the periphery of games. I also wanted to ask you: Do you think though that Clint Dempsey was the final piece in the puzzle for Fulham being so big in America? It was interesting watching the NBC documentary with Roger Bennett. I was going to bring that up in a second. Um, Shade Khan said they'd done some research into Fulham's awareness in America only a couple of years ago when we were in the championship, and we were the sixth most aware I don't even know
2: that well known. Well known, <laughs> he did use a really weird phraseology. To, yeah, to, I can't to, remember to, how he described it, but yeah, it's a media F- phrase, but I can't remember what one was. Fulham it is.
0: was the sixth most well known club in the states, and obviously, he wasn't the first to arrive. You've got Boccanegger, you had McBride, even before that, you had Eddie Lewis, Casey Eddie Keller, Johnson, Casey was. Keller. But I think that Clint Dempsey was the superstar that took Fulham from having a bit of an American following, and you know, so many American fans that you hear of and, and see online. The amount that say it was because of Clint that I supported Fulham.
2: It's almost the right place, right time, because obviously soccer has never been huge in America, but it's growing and growing and growing. I think it's the most... I think it's the um,
0: biggest participation sport for kids, isn't it? And it's
2: definitely the one that's growing the most in the country. And now there are new fans all all coming in because of what the US team have been largely successful in the last couple of World Cups. The MLS is growing. They're getting more and more overseas stars going, going over there. And they're now looking at the US team, national team and looking at who the superstars are and looking who they played for in their history. And obviously, it was it was probably just right place, right time for, for for Fulham and and potential new fans.
3: You're forgetting that this is for for a long period of time. He was the captain of the US national team, and um, um was arguably their best player for for many many years. And when Fulham started to get very good, that was at the same time that Clint got his captaincy, and it was around about the time where Fulham had reached uh, a final of a major European competition. And there's there's a reason why so many people caught, caught on to Fulham. But as Sammy said, we have a rich history of uh, Americans uh, playing for us and we're all very proud of it as well. But like, I think there's an economic factor as well to, to the US. I mean, Premier League's the most broadcast league out there after La Liga and a lot of the people that, that watch it are, as Farrell says, like, much younger and some of them come from very different backgrounds. Um, so more people are getting into football time and time again. It was around about 2010-11 where they first started to broadcast Premier League on a, on a big scale. Well, uh, hopefully the
0: uh, fairly sizable chunk of our audience that uh, hail from America uh, might have enjoyed our little um, American jaunt there in the conversation. Do let us know uh, what your thoughts were on Clint Dempsey. If there is anyone listening that supported specifically because of Clint, um, get in touch at Fulhamish Pod. We'd just quite like to hear your stories because I find it fascinating how sometimes one player can bring across so many fans um, from another country. And Ichi did that, but they, they haven't seemed to stick around.
3: Not as much, no. It's really weird because I follow very loosely Atlanta United because of uh, Joseph Martinez, who cool. scored 28 goals this season. I'm a real player.
0: Atlanta's a cool club.
3: It is a very cool club and they play good football. Can I very quickly wish Clint the best of luck with his rapping career in the future? <laughs> as a,
1: and his fishing career. And his fishing career. Who do you think was the best rapper, Mohamed Al Fayed or Clint Dempsey?
3: John Barnes. <laughs> oh,
0: <yeah>. John <laughs> Barnes did
3: be... drop the best verse of all time.
0: <laughs> it's got to be Outfired. Fired. Al <laughs> out rapping is uh, second to none. Uh, what did you think of that documentary, the uh, promoted by NBC? I mean, I know we just gave Americans a load of credit, but it, it, it was very American in its production. Um, but I, I just thought it was a nice little insight to the club. Some of the history part was a bit, you know, I, okay, I get it. I knew quite basic stuff about Fulham but I thought it was a nice little insight and nicely done for Fulham to get such coverage.
2: Yeah absolutely you've got to kind of wonder what the uh, the motivation was it was it paid for by Shard Khan by you know to 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 even gain more um, exposure out there Um, but I thought it was quite nice documentary you're quite right in saying it was quite American and we're not saying that in a condescending way or anything like that it just was different to how a documentary, a football documentary would be yeah. over here. Um, and it, I think Shad Khan comes off very, very well in that documentary. You can see his passion. You can see, I like the way that he says we and us and, you know, and he kn- knows about the history and, and even when Slavica is saying, he always says we and us as well.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned the history actually because he even goes to say and Fulham had never won at Wembley in their entire history and I know that's a basic fact that you could research and, and he also said how He feels more tense during Fulham games. and I don't know if these are just answers that are very well manufactured because he knows that the crowd that he's playing to. But still, it does give me a good feeling that while so many clubs are having problems with their owners, we do seem to have quite a good one at the moment. And we're
3: in the right hands. It's as simple as that. We've got a chairman that really cares. More club going places
0: yeah check it out you can watch it for free on the uh, Fulham website it's it's quite nice you don't need a TV account or anything just go in there it's a nice little 25 minute watch mm-hmm. if you fancy it right uh, let's get into the post bag um, sure you went and picked it up from Don Betts who had it last week I did yeah he hasn't washed it though it stinks oh, <laughs> typical
3: <laughs> uh, okay we'll get right into it shall we um, we went on a number of um, sources here we've gone into DMs we've got Twitter as well um, and we've got a couple of Instagrammers as, as well, I think. Oh, nice. Um, so we'll start with question number one. That comes from Zambo number five. I think <laughs> just recently changed his handle, but I can't remember who it is. And he says, can we see Reem getting his place back from Mawson or Le Marchand after he returns from injury?
1: I've thought a lot about loyalty, and we've spoken from to those players in the championship, and Salice has kind of shown some, but not really. And it's kind of... It'll be interesting, yeah. I mean, I would say no he won't get back in the team is the very short answer to that question
0: I think he will I really really think he will I don't know though can you play Mawson and Tim Ream at the same time
1: well Mawson yeah. is the left centre back isn't he like, yeah that's m- the thing he's modelled his whole career on John Terry it seems with the 26 on the back as well but um, <laughs> it, I mean he if he can play there and if a him and Adoy like learn well over this little mini preseason we've got coming up then maybe a settled back four back five as we spoke about is a better back five
0: i mean i would like to see tim ream come back into the fold i think he was our player of the reason uh, player of the season for a reason
2: yeah absolutely uh obviously savisa likes him he does you know one of the integral reasons why fulham was so good last year was because tim ream was just out of this out of this world it would be a real indication that when Tim Ream is fully fully fit. That how much Slavisa might like him or not. Because, for example, when Kenny was injured at um, at the beginning of last season, when he was fit, he went straight into the starting eleven. It'll be interesting to see what happens with with Tim Ream. Whether when he's fully fit, does he fit? Does he go straight back in, or is he eased back in, or does he even just make the bench? I think Slavisa
1: is very transparent with his press conferences in, in some ways, in that he mentioned Adoy quite a lot in. Uh, pre-season, how he's suspended for the first two games. He's suspended. I can't play him, but he hasn't really said that much of Ream. He hasn't like said, oh, I'm missing Ream a lot." So I think that might be an indicator as well that he might not be coming back in.
2: I'm missing Ream quite a
3: lot. I think on on that Odoi point, um, we've got a question here from Ali, um, who calls who's on Twitter as Fulham fan Ali. I think um, he says, um, "Do you think that Odoy can maintain his place?" And then Steve Atkins goes on afterwards to say. Do we think that Adoy is Jukanovic's blind spot? obviously football is very subjective, and all of us here will have different opinions but firstly, do we believe that Adoy will maintain his place and secondly you know is Adoy is Jukanovic blind to the errors that Adoy makes?
2: well, I mean Adoy has been he was very good when he came in and he kept his place ahead of Kalas for a reason. He does have a mistake in him on the odd game, but I didn't really see a mistake from him on Saturday at all. Not one that really springs to mind. Not one I thought. Oh, there's Adoy's mistake of the game.
0: How many mistakes does Adoy? Odoi... He's made a couple of absolute clangers. I mean, the playoff final being one, QPR mm-hmm. being the other. But
2: <clears throat> those are the only ones that have led to like a goal, quite famous goals. But yes. there, there have been ones where he's shanked a pass here and it's not led to anything. I'd
3: like to argue that at times Adoy's decision making is particularly rash. For example, like sometimes if he doesn't see a pass, he'll just run. down a blind alley and either it's going to end up in the way uh, and draw a foul or it'll become a needless giveaway of possession and that's what we talk about where we talk about a high value chance being given away against Fulham and he'd done it this weekend he got very lucky to get almost (laughs) the full length of the pitch before being taken down but if he'd gone any further and lost the ball he could have been under serious trouble. Mm.
1: He he likes that bailout option though maybe like it's something that perhaps Callum Chambers which some we haven't mentioned at all hasn't got he hasn't got that bit of extra pace to bail himself out of the situation where we you know play ourselves into one where with you need to make a decision and get rid of the ball somehow yeah. and if you carry it out and you win a foul I mean that's not the end of the world as far as Slav is concerned I guess.
3: I, I just remember being at the playoff final and after 38 seconds Dennis Adoy is already doing a forward run to <laughs> to relieve that pressure and you're just like what the hell are you doing? But, I mean, yeah,
1: maybe Adoy still learning. I mean, he he has been a fullback his whole career, and yeah, he's that's true. played um, centre back for the last six months. Maybe there's more to come from him in that position.
2: Yeah. One one follow up question to that, and it's kind of made me think because with with Chambers being on loan, Adoy um, is probably, with all due respect, probably not like in this you know increase of quality that we've got in this Fulham team. He's probably not going to be a starting centre back in the future. Reem will be thirty. He's thirty two this year, and I think he turns thirty three. Well, counting, he'll be 33 next year. But, um, uh, you know, that probably opens the door for one, another sort of Alfie Mawson, 20 million pound centre-back coming in. Um, or do you do you think Reem or, or Doy, or maybe they'll try and s- sign Chambers long-term? Well, It doesn't seem
0: that Chambers is very um, high up Slav's love list at the moment. But, I mean, Mawson and Chambers, you know, formed a relationship for uh, kind of junior England squads and and play well together I'm surprised that Slav hasn't gone for that partnership as of yet and, and tested it I wouldn't be surprised if in the coming weeks uh, he decides to give the Morse and Chambers partnership a go because whilst Chambers hasn't particularly impressed it's amazing sometimes how a player can be revolutionized by their playing partner mm. so you never know there might just be a, a fruitful partnership in there and maybe either the City game or the Watford game following it, I-, I wouldn't mind seeing how Mawson and Chambers get on together, presuming that Tim Ream's nowhere near a comeback.
2: Well, this is this kind of, that's like Slavisa's kind of trademark. When he's trying out different teams and different uh, types of players, he does try like two players at the same time at different partnerships. Like we saw it um uh, the first half of last season when it was he was rotating the striker and and the right winger it was always usually ses playing left wing but then he would play sort of uh, piazon with um oh he used
0: to always play piazon with fonts and he yeah. often used to play ojo
2: with, with kamara yes exactly um obviously then things changed we got different players in but then the season before it was it was almost the same thing as well because mm. he would rotate between chris martin sometimes luco was playing up front sometimes it was I'm trying to think who was we it often like get, he often ago. used
0: to, he often used to do the cess malone switch yeah as well, right, which um guy alluded to earlier
3: we'll keep it in defense alfie and harry price uh prowse sorry have asked the same question um well, Maxim Le Marchand keep his place after the performance at the weekend? Gave the ball away twice in two weeks uh, for goals and general passing just not good enough. Alfie comments that he lost the ball 178 times this weekend.
2: You'd get him <laughs> but, on your stat show. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
3: Alfie has an agenda against Le Marchand after this weekend, I must admit.
2: Uh, I'd be surprised if Brian doesn't come back in. I mean, as we said before, Le Marchand was was okay at left back, but obviously he wasn't amazing, but he just he did just give the ball away a fair too many two times to be honest and I don't think he brings a huge amount um, in terms of wing back play
1: I mean if you contrast him to Fossi Mensa, who, who again thought I'd, I thought had a very good game um, Fossi was bombing down the wing obviously they're different type of players but was just a lot less adventurous and we've alluded to the fact that he's not He's not a left-back, which is a phrase that we've used a lot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, next question is from BC Brown, who's a regular contributor, so thank you. Um, he said, with Fonte gone, what happens if Mitro is injured or similar? Who's the backup and do we envision it to be Kamara, Vieto or similar? Options seems to be everywhere apart from up top. Sammy? Well,
0: yeah, I don't think there is um, anyone who has a solid place in the team apart from... Mitrovic at the moment literally I don't I just cannot think anyone's position is safe maybe the only other player I think who isn't going anywhere is well actually Seri. but I was going to say fosu Mensah's right back position probably is quite safe for now with the performances he's putting in as i alluded to earlier i think that it's okay to switch the wingers around depending on the opposition and giving people a fresh injection of uh, a couple of weeks rest and and putting them into the side i think um vietto did okay on saturday but didn't set the world alight like he did against burnley so i wouldn't be surprised to see sessignon maybe coming against man city who we that didn't mention that chance at the end that would have yeah. been a yeah. world-class goal if if he finished that. and Maybe that was Sess just showing, yeah, no, a I've, bit. I've a got bit. a bit of quality. I, I can prove myself at this level. He didn't quite have the finish, but give that a few games, I think he might be tucking chances like that away. So I think it's okay to be doing a bit of rotation and um, I'm more happy with it changing around up front than I am in defence, where Stav seems to be making the majority of his changes at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think the jury is kind of still out on Vieto. I mean... It was kind of a counterintuitive approach to have perhaps a more physical left-back in Le Marchand and then Vieto in front of him. Because if you're away from home and you want to counter that physical presence but then you also want an outlet, Vieto just clearly hasn't got the pace on Sess And Sess would have been a better outlet as he proved once he came on. I mean, even in the first five minutes of Sess coming on, Le Marchand tried that straight ball down the line over the top which didn't, didn't come off at all. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the option was there whereas Vieto comes deep and you know tries to be... A, been more of a playmaker
2: mm-hmm. Fuzz thoughts yeah I've, I, I've got to agree with all of that um, it is so it's so nice to to have this you know dearth of talent all around and we can kind of chop and change some players here and there what what is kind of not worry, worrying is the, the wrong word to use but the fact that Scherler looks so bloody good out on that left left hand side so much better than he does on the right hand side is there a place for Ses in this team because Sess played Uh, Right wing for the first two games, and I mean he was okay. I'm not going to say he's going to set the world alight. With those two performances, we were people. If they if we had just seen him for those two games over the last two years, we would have gone meh. Basically,
3: Viera actually done quite well this weekend, but in a very like understated way. He Mm. took the ball in tight areas, and he done he maintained possession quite a lot more often than not actually. And I thought he he was quite creative. But as Guy says, if you're going to have that physicality at left back, you need someone to be able to give him an outlet and. I don't think he has the raw pace to trouble many of the full-backs in this league, unfortunately. Um, I also think that we could potentially try Scherler in the middle, should Mitrovic mm. uh, actually go down with an injury, and then we could have Cess on the left and we could play a, f- a fluid front three as we used to do uh, back in the Championship when we had like a Luko, Aite, and, and Cesc, So
2: Back when Ben Jarman was drooling over a false 9, 10, and 11. Oh, so top.
3: that was the- Best period in our recent history. <laughs>
1: That's, that false nine is literally what I was just about to say. Like mm. done it for Germany. He did it for Mourinho's Chelsea um, a few times when they famously went to Moises Man U, his first game in, at home and played for a nil nil, which now looks like such a stupid decision. <laughs> but but Schürrle was playing false nine that game.
3: He did. He did. You're absolutely correct. Um, sorry if I butcher this uh, surname, but uh, Luca Viscogliotta. Viscogliosi, I think it is, says will Slav opt for a more defensive approach against City or similar to Spurs will
2: it to set up and take them on? I can't imagine Slavisa playing any different to be honest. The I think it would just depend upon the selection of the the wide players. Uh, who's going to play right wing? Who's going to play left wing? Who's going to play the fullbacks role? Um, we might see more defensive minded players playing at fullback. Um but I just cannot believe that Slovisa in this in this game of games will will change the style significantly. I think
1: it'll be somewhere in between what Huddersfield did at Man City and what Newcastle did at Man City. So Newcastle was was so horrendously defensive and Huddersfield did not know what they were doing, you know. So I think they had no identity. We've got that identity no matter who's playing and I think I think we're going to lose, but...
0: (laughs) I I honestly think it's going to end 13-7. I think both teams are going to... And to Man City, by the way. Um, I just think Slav's got nothing to lose here. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just fancies making a statement and, and trying to have a go. And I think better to have a go and get pummeled than go defensive. And, and get, get pummeled. Well, Fulham,
2: Fulham just don't know how to be defensive under Slavisa, and Slavisa keeps coming out and interviewing and going. And you know, I'm going to butcher his accent here and go like, well, "We have to be ambitious. We have, we have, we Fulham. have gold
0: to play for football." Um, but I we don't have- know if I've. I mean, he has gone to places and put in a. Prof- professional kind of approach i remember thinking that when we've knowing we're going to be backs to the wall for instance millwall away i always heart back to just knowing that we were going to face a juggernaut for the first 45 minutes and we absorbed quite a lot of pressure that evening and we weren't there um, you know having seven in the opposition half and playing ludicrously i think slav does know how to set up a team to deal with Waves and waves of pressure. I think Man City's a slightly different uh, test to Millwall, but I-, I can see him maybe first 20 minutes trying to. be nice if we can get to nil nil or whatever and not concede an early goal. But after that, I, th- I just think Slav's going to go for it.
3: I agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to round off the pod with some very quick questions. I've got, okay. I've got five of them. Okay. It'll either be yes or no, or just an answer, a one-word answer. Especially you, Farrell. <laughs> okay. First one is from Patrick Dodds, and he says, Standing or no standing at and away. Some complaints from both away games this season. Do you like standing or do you like sitting? Standing. Standing.
0: Standing, but this can't be a one-word answer.
3: No. It can be, but I'll sum it up for all of us. Standing, because the atmosphere is much better. Everyone sings, everyone laughs. You go away to have exactly that.
2: But... The thing is though like I
3: appreciate the people that cannot stand and if that's the case then please do not stand in front of them and listen mm. to them. But their that's
0: issues. the that's the problem and that's why this is a wider issue of safe standing. I still believe that's why football fans need the choice because some people want to stand at football, some people want to sit at football. Mm. If you force everyone to try and do one thing then it just doesn't work so give people the choice if there's an away end at brighton and it was split two thirds was the standing end and then one third was a sitting end and you've got a ticket for the sitting end and then then it should be okay sorry but you've got to sit down
2: so i went i went to uh I, well i just think there's just got to be a culture of if you want to stand go back if you want to sit go yeah. forward um and it kind of just solves that issue. You just gotta, that's like a culture thing. You're not gonna get everyone together, th- stand in front of 3,000 people and go, right, you guys move forward, you guys move I'd like to well, this See is you try the though. thing
3: because we can't now select where we wanna sit or stand in the yeah, way end. Exactly. And it means that basically people wanna stand, we'll stand at the front, people wanna sit, will unfortunately may end up towards the back. So. There's a couple of things in there.
0: So, we've butchered your quick yeah, fire. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. We'll do the we'll, next. We're back on to quick fire We'll now.
3: do the next four then. So, Rory Breslin says, uh, how many goals will Mitro score this season?
1: 12.
2: Oh. 18.
0: Fuck me. I'm going to go in bang in the middle and say I think he's going to get 15.
3: I was going to go for 13. Okay. Uh Paul Fisher says, name our best settled back four again. Obviously, that can't be one Four word. Four words, please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fossumensa, Adoy, Mawson
2: Brian. Fosumensa Mawson Ream Brian. Samuel. Fossumensa
0: Chambers Mawson, Brian. Echo that.
3: Clint McClendon says would Cess be better at left back than Maxime Lamarchand? yes Farrell yes definitely agree yes prefer him up the pitch though last one broke your own rule well (laughs) well, (laughs) I'm the master of the postback oh okay Uh, the final one to round off the pod everyone tweeted this who threw the pie
2: (laughs) 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 who is still at Brighton being hungry picking up Bits of balti off the floor. <laughs> Tony Khan in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> you would be gutted though, wouldn't you, if you got a brand new shirt and there's balti
3: pie everywhere? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I literally just had a question from um, Hindharts Beer. Said, if Fulhamish Pod was a pie, what flavour would it be? Oh, uh, Ben's going to
2: choose a vegetarian one. Well, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm a pescatarian. So I'll, I'll be a fish pie. Oh. I think-,
0: think I think we'd be like a, a Stilton pie or something like that, something a bit different, a bit oh, ch- st- and a bit of cheese for Farrell. Stink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, something upmarket like seafood, I reckon. Hmm.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it's Don Betts' new thing. You know, score and throw a pie. He's got it. Well, he never sees any goals. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah. Well, yeah, he doesn't see goals, so it can't have been Dom. I guess that's the so, one person that sea- is ruled sea-gulls.
2: out. See goals, like Brighton. Hey, yeah, I'll yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, get nice. him off. <laughs> Let's end it. <laughs>
0: that's uh, definitely a cue to end the pod. So, um, thank you for listening today. At Fulhamish will return next week. We're going to be doing the stats show, which should be dropping uh, Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday morning. By the time we get it out, so. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a break. We won't be back next Monday, uh, but it's the international break and there won't be too much Fulham to chat about. So we're going to take a, a small respite, uh, but we'll be back with the stat show. Uh, and then at some point as well, we'll be previewing the Man City game, the easy challenge that we face against Man City. And we we'll to be chatting to the guys from City Watch all about that game as well. Uh, ben, we need to title the podcast, please.
3: Uh, after much deliberation, I'm going to go for South Coast Crumble.
0: Hey, bit of pie pun in there as well. Absolutely. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in there. Um, we don't endorse pie, pie throwing, by the way. <laughs> I think we do have to make this very clear. Although the guy in the Facebook post um, said it's not the Fulhamish way. And I don't think he gets to decide what the Fulhamish way is. I think we may have laid a claim to that name by now.
2: Well... Was it a chucker pie by the way? <laughs> oh, there you go. Wow, this, this, pod needs, this pod needs to end really now.
3: Really lowering our pie standards with that. <laughs> that
0: was quite good, to be fair. I've got to give you some credit. Right, to Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Salud. To Guy and Barlow, thank you very much. See you later. Nice to have you back. And Benjamin, thank you very much. Obrigado. See you very soon. Have a nice couple of weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. Toodles.